Hello and welcome to the Disciple Making Podcast, where we're all about helping Christians become disciple makers. I'm your host, Brad Mann. In last week's episode, we spoke about the pathway of disciple making. It starts with winning and then progresses to building, equipping, and finally multiplying. That pathway gives us a framework within which to grow and a trajectory to follow. Over the next couple of months, we're going to explore each of these markers along the pathway in more detail with theory and with practice, so that we, as disciple makers, can grow in our skills, confidence, and ability to disciple others along their journey towards maturity in Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about winning new disciples. This is probably one of the most neglected practices of the church, so we're going to spend some time here over the next couple of weeks and explore it in some depth. In this episode, we're going to discuss a few different contemporary theories, and then over the coming weeks, we'll have a couple of different guests joining us on the podcast to share their real-life stories and experiences of sharing Jesus with others and what they have learned about evangelism and themselves. So today, let's start with a quick analysis of what Jesus did, and then let's go from there and consider a couple of contemporary methodologies. We want to start with Jesus because we want to make sure that we ground ourselves there and we allow the scriptures to inform us before we jump into great ideas and theory. Look, we're not going to do a prolonged Bible study in this podcast, um, but let's look at a few stories and, and let's just remember some of the things that happened in the life of Jesus. Let's start in John chapter 1. Jesus comes back to John the Baptist after having been baptized by him. John sees him and he proclaims his Messiahship. And then we see two of John's disciples and they approach Jesus and they begin to question him. And Jesus' response to them is to invite them. He says, come along, come and see. Come and see what, what I'm going to be doing. And so they come and they begin to watch and they begin to see what he does. Let's go to the story in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus just has called Levi to begin to follow him. Levi is a tax collector. And so Jesus chooses to spend some time at his house among his friends, who are also tax collectors. Now, just for a bit of context, that's like you and me choosing to have a dinner party with a collection of drug dealers. That's what, our, that's what Jesus' neighbors would think. That's what um, Levi's neighbors would think. And, and that's what our neighbors would think if, if we had the same kind of party. That's the kind of context we're talking about here. And so the Pharisees, they come and they question Jesus. As, as you know, you might also be questions if you had a party with a bunch of drug dealers. And they, they say to him, Jesus, what are you doing here? Why would you spend time with these people? His response to them is simple. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. That was what Jesus did. What about the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, where again we see Jesus spending time amongst the sinners of society. Again, Zacchaeus, tax collector, no one wants to spend time with him. He has to climb up a tree to see Jesus because he can't get into the crowds. Jesus goes to his house, spends time with him. What about John chapter 4? Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. Again, we find him engaged in this taboo conversation with an unworthy person that no one else would have spoken to. She's there in the middle of the day because she can't go at the normal time because no one else wants to be in her company. And here we find Jesus talking with her. There are many, many more stories we could look at from the life of Jesus. But as we look at these, and if you want to look at some others, something becomes very clear. It becomes clear to me. When Jesus sought to begin a disciple-making relationship with someone, he started by getting into their world and inviting them into his. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that first and foremost, Jesus was relational. 
He was a people person. He spent time with people. He knew that he couldn't make followers in a vacuum. And so he chose to be among people. And he chose to invite people to be around him. He invited them to see who he really was and how he genuinely lived out his life. Jesus also made a point of going to be amongst sinful people because he knew that they needed a savior. And he welcomed them to come and to follow him. This was something religious leaders judged him for. And yet Jesus knew that sinful people needed a savior. They needed to be able to see him, to talk to him before they would even consider listening to him. Jesus didn't just leave it there. Though. He used his relationships to challenge people and call them to repent and to believe in him. He knew that it wouldn't simply be enough for people to know about him, but they needed to choose to believe in him. We often get stuck here, but Jesus didn't. He wasn't afraid to challenge people to believe, even if that meant they walked away from him. Think of the rich young ruler. So that's what we can see in Jesus' life as he sought to bring people into the kingdom and start a disciple-making relationship with them. So let's take these insights and let's see how we can potentially live them out in our lives today. And so we're going to talk today, we're going to talk about three different contemporary methodologies that embody these aspects of Jesus' ministry. And hopefully they're going to help us to be more intentional in the way in which we engage with people in our lives who are not yet Christians. So let's dig in. First one is called CPR, right? You know the thing you do when someone is dying? Oh, it's kind of appropriate, right? Because people without Jesus are ultimately dying. CPR is a really simple and it embodies a basic farming metaphor. Cultivate, plant, reap. That's what it stands for. The C is for cultivate. Cultivate refers to the relational background in any evangelistic encounter. In, in farming, cultivation refers to that activity that prepares the soil for seed. It's the work that goes in beforehand. It's the preparation of the ground, the hydration, the fertilization of the soil. It's the same in evangelism. There's an old adage that says, people do not care what you know until they know that you care. Cultivate in evangelism is all about building sincere relationships that create opportunity for the gospel truth. That's cultivate. The P in CPR is for plant. All right, the farming metaphor is pretty obvious here. It's about seed going into soil. Same needs to happen in evangelism. You can actually see this happen beautifully in the story of Nicodemus. If you follow his progression, it starts with the, with the conversation that he has with Jesus in John chapter 3, where he's confused, he doesn't understand, he doesn't yet believe. And you can follow his conversation that he eventually begins to have with the Pharisees in John chapter 7, and again in John chapter 19, and how the truth that was planted eventually began to bear fruit in his life. Plant in evangelism is about sharing a seed of gospel truth that has the opportunity to grow in the life of another person. It's a truth statement. It's a question. It's a conversation that causes someone to think more deeply, to consider or reflect on Jesus in a different way and ultimately gives them the opportunity to come closer towards God. The R in CPR is for reap and it represents the harvesting stage of farming. This is the ultimate goal of true evangelism. All the evangelism methodologies sought to bring this stage out a lot earlier, usually by building scriptural arguments and then forcing someone to accept a theological conclusion. And because we believe in objective truth, right, we believe that you really should accept this theological conclusion because it is true. But it doesn't always connect with people today. Reaping 
is something we do with someone who genuinely desires to choose to follow Jesus. This should be someone who has understood the gospel. They've understood who Jesus is and what it means to choose to serve him as the Lord of their life. They've chosen to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. Sometimes we have the privilege of leading someone to Jesus where someone else has done the cultivation and the planting. Sometimes we're going to do the cultivation and the planting. We're not going to get to do the reaping. Sometimes we're going to get to be a part of all three. That's beautiful. But really, at the end of the day, that's not important. What is important is that all of us look to cultivate, to plant, and to reap as we are led by the Spirit in the lives of those God brings around us. So that's the first methodology, that's CPR, right? and a really simple kind of framework within which to think about evangelism. Here's a second one. This is called three-story evangelism. This is, again, it's a methodology that's very simple to use and it's very simple to remember. It provides for us a framework that helps us navigate a conversation with a non-Christian person that seems to be open to the things of God. And it's an aid for us to steering the conversation towards Jesus. The idea in three-story evangelism is, believe it or not, to introduce the gospel through the context of storytelling. Game-changing. So the first thing is, it's about their story. In the world we live in today, and this is really important, in the world we live in today, we don't like salesmen. We hate salespeople. I feel incredibly sorry for the poor people that are employed by cold calling centers. It's, you know, it's why we install TrueCall in our phone, so that we block those calls and we don't have to answer them. The same is true in evangelism. If you're engaging with someone and it feels to them like you're trying to sell them something, they're done. They're out. They're going to disengage. If we're not going to just be salesmen for Jesus, we actually have to care about the person we're talking to. Not pretend to care so that they can sign on the dotted line. Actually care. This means taking an active interest in their life. It means caring enough to understand their journey. It means caring about them as a person, not as a convert. And that care is best shown in active listening. Right? That's what the first stage of three-story evangelism encourages. We ask the person to tell us their story, who they are, where they come from, what their life has been like. And we actually care. We actually listen with compassion. We ask questions. We probe deeper. We identify in common experiences. We empathize in heartache. That's how Jesus responds to people. Jesus looked at the crowds and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them because he actually cared. He actually cared about their lives. We listen with compassion and we care about them as a person. It's the first part. But we are disciple makers. We're not just compassionate people, even though that's a beautiful thing. And so we want to help people journey closer to Jesus. And so this is where your story comes in. The second part of three-story evangelism is your story. In the post-Christian context in which I and many of us live, objective truth is no longer deeply valued by society at large. In fact, it's subjective experience that has become the new standard for truth. And what that does is it makes storytelling a great vehicle for planting and expressing truth. And this is the idea behind the second part of this three-story evangelism. Share your story. Share your experience of truth. Tell the person about your life. A story that's not interwoven with Jesus because he saved you and redeemed you. Whether it's a story of growing up in a loving Christian home or a story that had a, a radical transformation, it's still your story and it's still full of Jesus. 
Be real about your story. Share your genuine highs and lows. Not just before you knew Jesus, but afterwards as well. We've got to be really careful that we don't paint a false picture of life with God in our attempt to persuade someone. Because ultimately that's unhelpful. All life is challenging. It's difficult. It has ups and downs and highs and lows. The difference is with Jesus, he goes with us into the valleys. With Jesus, he strengthens us in the times of deep heartache and pain. And we need to be careful that we, that we share that. We also need to be careful that we don't glamorize how sinful you were. Guys, it's not a badge. You don't win anything if you were like the worst sinner. We've got to give Jesus the focus and the work that he's done in our life. And let's spend more time talking about Jesus than how sinful we were. Your story is an opportunity for you to plant ideas and truths about who Jesus is to you that may open up thoughts and questions for the person that you're talking to. And then finally, after you've shared your story, you can share the story of Jesus. The story of a God who came to redeem the world but was rejected by it. The story of sin and humanity's need for a Savior, our need for a Savior. The story of the cross and Jesus' triumph over sin and death. The story of God redeeming the world from brokenness and death. The invitation that Jesus has now extended to us to come and to know him, to come into his kingdom and to be saved. Now, this is not a turn or burn conversation. It's an opportunity for the person to respond to the work of Jesus. Do they want to know more? You've got a discipling opportunity. And by the way, there are some great resources on the JLife platform if you want to journey with a new believer and you want to help them or or are not yet believer and you want to help them learn more about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. There's some great things that are available there. You can email me. I'll give you more info at brad at connectchurch.org.za. Do they want time to think about it and get back to you? Do they want to receive what Jesus has done for them right now? As disciple makers, we're content with any of these responses. We're willing to journey with the person from wherever they are. Even if right now they're not interested, we continue to walk with them, to journey with them. That's three-story evangelism. It's a methodology. It's a way. It's a tool that you can have in your belt for conversations that you have with people who are not yet Christians. Finally, we're going to talk about the Bell's methodology. Bell's is a methodology, it's an alliteration of the five challenges that it encompasses. The thinking behind Bell's is a little broader than CPR or three-story evangelism. Bell's is about establishing habits in your life that keep you in contact with non-Christian people and create in you a life that invites others to ask questions about who you are and why you live this way. It's something I really like about it because if we choose to adopt these habits into our lives, we're going to be consistently creating opportunities to engage people with the truth of the gospel in a way that they desire, that's accessible and and interesting. It's something that they're going to come to us for. And this is, I think, a really beautiful thing. So let's look at the five habits that make up the Bell's idea. The first challenge in Bell's, the B stands for bless. Specifically, the call is... Choose three people to bless and make sure that one of them is not a member of your church. That's the challenge. Go and bless three people every week. What does it mean to bless someone? Well, it means anything that's going to relieve a burden in their life. Anything that helps them to breathe more easily. Anything that can lift their spirit or alleviate their distress. 
It can be small or large, it doesn't matter. Generally speaking, blessing can look like words of affirmation. It can be a phone call or a message that tells someone you're thinking about them, that you care about them. There's a young adult who's a part of our church who every now and again arrives at our office with a plate of brownies and a little scripture for each of us as staff. And it's incredibly special because it's just this affirmation of, hey, I thought about you, I care about you, I want you to know that. Words of affirmation. Acts of kindness, another way you can bless someone. Actually doing something for someone that's incredibly helpful to them. Cutting someone's lawn who, who can't do it anymore. Babysitting for a couple who are so exhausted by looking after their kids week in and week out and don't have family nearby. Helping a neighbor move. Anything like this. It shows the love of Jesus to someone. It tells them that you care. Giving someone a gift. Third way you could potentially do blessing. Gift shows the recipient that they're known, they're cared for, they're valued. It's not about size or how much it costs. It's about the heart behind it. A gift is a practical expression of our love. It makes an impact in the lives of people. That's the first challenge. Bless three people each week. Here's the second challenge. The E from Bells is to eat. Specifically, to eat with three people each week, at least one of whom is not a member of your church. The reason for this is because God has designed us as humans to bond over food. It's just what we do. It's how it is. When we make a habit of inviting people to our table, we create the opportunity for conversation. We cultivate the environment for genuine relationship. We build and grow our own capacity for hospitality. Choose to eat with three people each week. That's the E. First L in Bells is to listen. Challenge number three. At least once a week, create a space of time where you actively still yourself and listen to the voice of the Spirit. Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit at all times which is something we all can become better at doing. But by making a habit of being still and waiting on the Spirit to speak, that empowers the rest of our lives. It's the opportunity that we create that invites the Spirit to lead us specifically. It's a space where He can tell us who to reach out to, who to bless. Maybe He's going to tell us how to bless them, or who to have over for dinner, or what to bring up during dinner. Maybe He's going to drop a word of knowledge as we're having a dinner conversation. By actively choosing to listen to the Spirit of God each week, we develop the same prayerful dependence in our lives that Jesus modeled, and we invite the Spirit to breathe life into otherwise mundane activities. Fourth challenge in Bells, the second L, is to learn. It's the challenge to spend at least one period of time each week learning specifically from the life of Jesus. And the reason for this is simple. All scripture is God-breathed, and all of our study of God's word is helpful. And in Jesus, we see the life God desires. We see it lived out from day to day. Jesus models for us how we are to live in relation to God. And the more we soak in his life, the more we learn from him. So the challenge is to spend at least one period of time each week learning specifically from the life of Jesus. For myself, I've made a practice of always choosing to read in the Gospels alongside wherever else I'm reading. So right now, I'm reading John and Ezekiel. It's great. Finally, last part of Bells, the S, challenge number five, is sent. The final habit is to begin identifying yourself as a missionary, as a sent one, by journaling the ways you're alerting others to God's reign. 
The purpose behind this habit is to reinforce and to encourage you in your evangelistic efforts. In life, if we don't track something, then we don't notice when its performance begins to dip and disappear. But when we do keep track of something, it keeps that thing at the forefront of our mind. The heart behind this habit is to keep the main thing the main thing. If we've been called to make disciples because God sent us into the world, then we want to make sure that we're not just busy with busy work and forgetting about the task that the Master gave us. This habit exists to encourage us as we look back and we see what God keeps doing through us as we keep trusting and relying on Him. So those are three contemporary tools that you can use and grow in to develop the habit of actively seeking to reach people with the gospel. And theory is helpful. It gives us a framework, but it's also got to be translated into experience. And so over the next four weeks, I'm going to have four different guests on the show, and we're going to talk about how they have sought to live this out in their own lives. And they're going to tell their stories, and we're going to hopefully learn from one another as they share their stories of, of bringing people to know Jesus. As we do that, I want to strongly encourage you as the aspiring disciple maker to prayerfully consider who God is putting around you and how you can start to put these ideas into practice. Maybe you maybe you don't even know how to share your testimony. Maybe a first step for you is to practice just telling someone else your story, so a Christian that you know, a friend that you have. Challenge one another and say, hey, like, can we share our testimonies together in five minutes and then you can give me some feedback on yours and mine and I'll give you some feedback on yours. It can be a really helpful thing to do. Also want to just put it out there, I'd love to hear your stories. If you've got a story of how you've stepped out and you've begun to reach someone for the Lord and you've begun a discipling journey with someone that doesn't yet know Jesus, please send me an email, send me a, a message. I'd love to hear from you. Remember, email me brad at connectchurch.org.za. As always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, love to encourage you to subscribe, consider sharing it with a friend, discuss it together with someone. Let's begin to talk about how we can live these things out together. Until next time, may God bless you and lead you into deeper degrees of obedience to Him. Ciao for now. Bye-bye.